Welcome to the Arts Access Florida podcast series, When Freedom Rings. In this six-part series, we speak with our Black and Brown community on what has transpired in the art world since the emancipation of slavery on June 19, 1865. We have open conversations on their experiences as people of color and their contributions to art, community, and education. The series highlights their continued efforts to move the needle forward. This is When Freedom Rings. Welcome to episode two, From Otherness to Radical Joy. Today we speak with Wanda Raimundi Ortiz, a nationally and internationally recognized award-winning interdisciplinary visual and performance artist. We speak with her on the intersections of her life and how being a light-skinned Afro-Latina have informed her experiences and informed her art. Her goal is to bridge gaps, interrogate the art world systems, and make people of color, particularly women, more visible in our world. Good morning, Wanda. Thank you so much for being on this episode of When Freedom Rings. We're very happy to have you. Um, Would you please just take a moment to introduce yourself to our audience? Hi, uh, my name is Wanda, Wanda Raimundi Ortiz. I am a visual artist uh, currently living in Orlando, Florida. Tell us a little bit about how you started in art. Um, gosh, that's like asking, <laughs> how do you start breathing? I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've always been super creative. Um, I always was attracted to comic strips and how the comic strips were drawn and characters and fashion and you know, cartoons and storytelling. So you say you were attracted to comic books. What was one of your favorite ones? Oh gosh, I mean, what what little girl doesn't love Wonder Woman, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but think also, uh, I liked like Betty and Veronica, you know, those little like Archie comics. Um, and I also liked, I enjoyed, you know, like Superman, Batman, you know, I'm, I know I'm crossing universes and people are gonna, yeah. Be like, hold on, <laughs> like, right? Like the DC and Marvel comics, so a little bit of everything. But really, it was just about how to how you can tell a story visually. So, in a lot of your work, you say that it reflects some of your life, and it's based on some of your background. Um, mm-hmm. Would you mind telling us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, things like that? So, um, I was born and raised in the Bronx. I'm Puerto Rican, and um, growing up in the hood is is um unique right you know it's a unique uh experience to especially in a place like new york city in a cultural hub like new york city where you you know your neighbor is guyanese and the other neighbors you know jamaican and somebody else from japan and then the guy up the road is irish and then you know the guy in the grocery store is dominican and you know and so it was really uh being around so many different people is a masterclass in diversity and inclusion, right? Mm-hmm. Especially, especially if it's you all included in the same kind of oppressive situation, right? So right. you all, you know, you're all in the same kind of pressure cooker. And um, and so those stories of being in the hood, kind of being together, and also how we kind of like, kind of like sifted and separated, um, also kind of inspired, you know, a lot of my work. Um, but really like the need, the need to make the work the way I make it was kind of my way of making heads or tails of the, the need to separate us mm-hmm. and to identify and quantify us as individuals and who decided that we, that needed to happen and how, who, what's my place in that story. And, 
um, what's my place as a Puerto Rican in the United States. Um, before I even understood that this is what I was doing, I was exploring colorism. Um, you know, I confronted colorism because I'm so fair-skinned compared to people in my neighborhood, my friends, um, having to kind of prove my pedigree in the hood, prove my, like, proving pedigree in the hood is... is Sounds hard. <laughs> Maybe well, I mean, impossible. I think we all do it, right? We all mm -hmm. do it. We feel like, you know, who who walks harder, who's got the, who got the baddest coat, this, that, the other thing. And then um, I think because of my fair skinness compared to everybody else that I was around made me like a target, you know, as you, oh, that's that wannabe white girl. Like, nah, not really kid. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, um, and then um, you know, and then being artistic and creative, that's, you're not supposed to be that way when, you know, the only way you're doing that is if you're doing graffiti, you can't be doing anything else. And, um, and so there's always this kind of, all these multiple intersections, just living in the hood. And so uh, the work, the work was a refuge for me and a place for me to tease these things out, especially since I didn't have the right words for it. We weren't talking about anti-racism back in the day. We weren't talking about all this stuff. We were just kind of coexisting, trying to coexist and trying to mm -hmm. figure out where, just where you stand and to have the audacity to dream to be an artist when artists don't make money. That's mm -hmm. real working class. Like, so that's, so to be able to dream that way is like audacious. So, so your work has really helped you kind of sift through your own identity and sift through the, even the construct of what identity is and how everybody supposedly has to be in these certain boxes. Would you say certainly that? that? Certainly that. Um, as an artist, I've been, I guess, I'm one of the artists that is, you know, primarily focused on identity-based art, identity-based work. But really, like, it's just the the art has been the byproduct of my trying to figure out who I am in this place, right? Mm -hmm. And a, a good artist friend of mine, Sean Leonardo, said in the lecture once that identity is something that you try on. And you uh. kind of try, and you keep trying on these things and you perform these versions until you find the one that fits. Right. And I think we've all done that, you know, if you're preppy, you're, I was, believe it or not, I was a goth in high school. What? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, I wasn't inviting any problems. In the <laughs> goth, that's, whatever. You weren't standing out. <laughs> no, no, with a, with a, I wasn't sticking out with an art, you know, with an MC jacket and paratrooper boots and, you know, a giant, giant portfolio case, you know, walking to the train. Um, and so the art, I think, I think it's more of the byproduct of that, trying to figure out who I am. You know, I've done works where I've done, and I, I find that I've focused so much on self-portraiture um, because I was trying to figure out who I look like, mm. you know? I mean, I look like my mom. I have traces of my dad and that lineage, but also this, you know, the, the fact that people always have trouble placing me. Yeah. And it's like, you know, well then, there, that's coming from this this prescription of what Puerto Rican is supposed to look like, what Black is supposed to look like, mm -hmm. what Dominican is supposed to, look, and then we have these ideas, and everybody's kind of bought into this into this structure of what was supposed to, this 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 made up structure of race. You did speak to me about that. You describe yourself as Afro Latina. Would you give your own definition of what that means? Oh uh, well, I mean, I'm Afro Latinx, right? I was mm -hmm. born in the hood. I was born in the Bronx. I'm of Puerto Rican. I'm from the Puerto Rican diaspora, right? You know, mm -hmm. born in the United States. Um, of uh, and my lineage from my mother's side, um, 
there's a direct line of Afro of, of Afro Puerto Ricanness, right? And so we say that out loud because it's important to acknowledge who we are because of colorism, because of the need to, you know, um, that people seem to need to they they may not know what to do with me. So I'm gonna let me just clarify. This is where I yeah. stand. And then also, and then um and also because I think it's important to that kind of ownership and understanding who you are makes you stand firmly and both culturally, but also prepares you to do the kind of cultural work for opening up these conversations about anti uh, anti blackness and racism within the Caribbean culture. Right. right. We witness the conversations about getting your hair straight and about not making sure to like marry light or white and so to kind of improve the race that all these like really awful dirty little things that happen within mm-hmm. caribbean not just puerto rican but within the caribbean within you know colonized uh, uh colonized uh peoples mm-hmm. and this idea if white is right and so it is very important for me to to anchor myself in this so that i know who i am but so that other people know that I know who I am. Right. I'm not trying to like fake the funk that, you know, there's a great, there's an amazing uh, sentence, um, a phrase that is used a lot. And it was, and it was popularized in a song. I forgot who sang it, but the line is, y tu abuela donde esta? and your grandmother, where is she? Mm-hmm. Right. And so this, you know, kind of challenging this idea of what you think your light skin, but where's your grandmother? Huh? Right. And, and that think- never, that never left me. Right. And I think what you do too is you also, by you being so firm in who you are and understanding yourself and helping to have these conversations, you're probably helping someone out there who's seeing your work, who maybe there's something familiar in your story that is familiar to them and maybe they don't know their history or don't know anything at all. And it gives them a little bit of a glimpse of something. So it's important. Yeah, and I think, yeah, and I, I appreciate you saying that because I think it's also important for people to kind of take a look at where they, they might be standing, they might be sitting very firmly in some, in, in, in a very anti-Black, an anti-Black stance mm-hmm. within their families, right. right? Where you would say, well, oh, I'm not, I'm not Black, I'm, I'm X. What do you think that means? Where did that came from? Like, where do you think that came, <laughs> like, you need to go back a couple of steps, like, in order for us to move forward in this narrative, to go to a post-racialized world, whatever that means and whatever that looks like, where we can start to like move beyond these these characterizations um, and move beyond these structures that have set us up to move within these very specific spaces, we have to be able to look at our shit. Oops, I'm sorry. We have to look at our it's stuff. Okay. <laughs> and, um, and we have to look at it for ourselves, right? Because other people are going to tell our story anyway. So we should, if it's going to be accurate, we should tell it the right way. And we should know who we are first. And then, then even the larger conversation, because it's not even about just what what you identify as, but let's take a look and interrogate why this this structure exists in your culture. Mm-hmm. What leaders, what leadership was in your country at the time that was pushing a narrative of anti-blackness that potentially maybe threatened people's lives and would would you know? And we see this in American culture, but like let's look at the Caribbean. Let's look at this. Let's look at that. What narratives are being sold mm-hmm. to you? by force possibly, that will make you actively deny what you know to be true when you look across your family, that it's easier to say that you're indigenous, it's easier to say that you're Spaniard, it's easier to claim to these other things because it's a survival type, right? right. So it's not trying to, I'm not trying to make people feel bad or demonize where they are, but we should, we should, we, we're, we're far enough in this dialogue and we have enough technology we have to start to look at this in a, in a, in a larger context for ourselves as a community and then maybe start healing 
So it's let's move. Yeah, it is a lot. It <laughs> it's a light, a light, light conversation on the Monday morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's start with your work. Your early work was focused on women and their struggles, a lot of it. And you had um, Wepa Woman was one of your comic pieces. So Wepa Woman was this character that I actually developed when I was about 19. And, um, and I was really curious to to create this uh, a narrative about this girl who looked nothing like me but embodied my ideas right again okay. this and even from very early on I've always been questioning what I look like and will people hear me and hear what I have to say because I don't look the way other people expect me to look and right. so I created this character who looked Puerto Rican long dark flowy like silky kind of indigenous hair and you know 36 28 36 hourglass body shape that's also not me (laughs) (laughs) and um but she she carried these sort of nationalistic ideas of Puerto Ricanness and was very very concerned about you know um the the value or the worthiness of Puerto Ricans in 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 a larger context kind of like what we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. and it versus chuleta which is this hood rat ratchet chick from the hood who's just like you know screw you whatever like i'm gonna do what i'm gonna do and this is just the streets is a whole other ball game and so these two were always at odds with each, with each other which is kind of what i was experiencing as a young person mm. like my mother telling me just because we live in the hood doesn't mean you have to be hood um uh, we're constantly being challenged that I was want to be white girl, that I wasn't down, that I wasn't this, that I didn't understand, that, 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 that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and even maybe, maybe even asserting without having the language, asserting the language of privilege on me, not that I had any more money than anybody else, but I was, you know, going to public art school. I was going to, I was doing different things. And so, you know, I always felt that pushback. And so those narratives came out in this in these early works. So the adventures of Wepa Woman versus Chuleta Bitch. And mm. and so they're always going at each other's throats. Like, you know, um in in some panels I made where Chuleta is like she's she's in the oh my gosh, she's in the Chinese buffet. Okay. And and she's got a plate full of chicken wings. Like she's just like, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat the hell out of this. I'm gonna get my fifteen dollars worth. <laughs> and then she, and woman's like, no, put the plate down. Like she's like trying to not be ratchet. Like, please, like we already have these stereotypes. I don't need you. I don't, we don't need you doing it, making it any worse. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so that's, and these are like, this sort of, it seems naive now, but also kind of telling of where, like the, the battle between these two personas, which is actually the battle that I have within myself. Like you want to be this, but then you're like, oh, you worry that someone else is going to judge yep. you. And yep. you worry about, you know, and this is like, and this is a quintessential it's- circumstance that happens with people from the other from the per, from the perimeters right well we're always worried like well if mm-hmm. i do something it's not just wanda who did something it's wanda the puerto rican who took down yeah. all the puerto Ricans. her behavior took down everybody mm-hmm. and so these so these are the kinds of battles that were happening in in you know throughout the wepa woman series and then eventually Going to Puerto Rico, I did a big mural at the Museo de Arte de Puerto Rico in San, in San Jose. And in that space, like I, every time I did a mural, I was trying to incorporate the politics of the space. So I'm in Puerto Rico, first and only museum show in Puerto Rico mm-hmm. for someone from the diaspora, for me, for me personally. I'm in this space 
And so I feel like I'm coming home. And I had these visions that this, that me coming to Puerto Rico and showing on the motherland was going to be like me coming through on a white horse in the Arc du Triomphe and, you know, in mm, Paris or whatever, yeah. like having this, this homecoming. But that pomp and circumstance never happened for me, not through my family, not through anybody, because there was a whole other bunch of stuff happening. And also people in the island didn't recognize me as Puerto Rican. Mm. So that becomes a diaspora story where like you go, anybody, you're born in, you're born in New York City, but you're Jamaican, but the same, you go to Jamaican, you're not Jamaican, you're American. So yep. that's kind of quantifying the hierarchy of how, how, how Rican are you? How Caribbean are you? How much this are you? How could you possibly be if you were born stateside? Yes. And with the added complication of Puerto Rico as a commonwealth of the United States, it becomes, you know, even trickier. And so the character goes to, goes to the island and she goes to genuflect in front of this tree of life that I created in the in the mural, mm-hmm. right? Um, which is a giant ficus tree that I drew, and it's got like the taina, image of a taina, an image of an African woman, an image of a Spaniard woman, kind of hidden in the trees. And she goes to genuflect. So, so you know, she goes back to Puerto Rico. She's genuflecting, but then the, the island kind of rejects her, like you're not one of us. And so mm-hmm. she has this kind of psychic break like all of a sudden I've been defending you for so long against Chuleta and all this other crazy shit and here you're rejecting me like yeah what? she's rendered powerless and she's confused by this by this flat-out rejection mm-hmm. you know and so then this you start to, I start I, and I and I incorporate my confusion and my disdain within the work so that's why it's all autobiographical then the next one that appears after that I got a commission to do um Center for Puerto Rican Studies in Hunter College in New York, Wepa woman who's always her, her baby hairs are always popping like Perfect. she's not point. Mm-hmm. Her, nails, her, her nails are broken, her hair's disheveled. She's confused. She's feel like she's been cast out of Eden, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, like, and so her relationship starts to starts to starts to crumble with the island, like you know, because she doesn't feel welcome in the place that she's dedicated her whole life, dedicated. Yeah. And the hood don't want her neither. So like, mm-hmm. you know, I. I, everything you just said, my brain was like, tick, 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 like ticking because I feel like that is a very similar to like kind of my own life growing up. Cause I mean, I'm, I, my parents weren't born here. So me and my siblings were born here. So we're, you know, we're American kids, but you know, we have African parents and it's very, it's, it gets very confusing and, um, you can't, it's hard to figure out where you belong. And, you know, I always had the issue of growing up like, oh, you're trying to act like a little white girl or you're a black white girl, or, you're an Oreo or all the little Oreo, terms yeah. they want to call Oreo, coconut. Yeah. All yeah. That. And I always remember finding it. So I always miss like, I would sit to myself and think, oh, well, because I'm not being all these stereotypical, what you think a black person is like, I'm not loud. I'm not talking about fried chicken or all the silly little things that they would say i'm therefore not black which right. i which i hated like, i'm like but i am you don't and what, see that <laughs> and yeah and what what would you know about it and then it's like when i had the opportunities to go home back to where my parents grew up i remember being so excited to go back and thinking oh my gosh i'm gonna blend in it's gonna be so great and then i got there and it was like oh you're the american in Africa like and it was like immediate like they can tell as barely by looking at you and I remember being so disappointed being like oh I thought I was gonna be like a part of the majority for once like I was really and it's just yeah when you're talking I was like yes I feel like I I totally understand that kind of 
confusion that it really is to understand like where you belong and the reality is it's like especially the, the kids in the diaspora who were brought here and born here you kind of don't belong in either and you kind of have to create your own you know your own place of belonging right that's, that's a common that's common especially among first generation kids mm -hmm. that are born that are born stateside and their parents were born and so you're so you're left toggling between these two very distinct um cultural, mm -hmm. cultural situations right so it's like you know um eating pasteles and, and mcdonald's eating you know arroz con gandules and you know pork fried rice from the chicken spot you know what i mean or whatever yeah. like and so you have so it's 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 your actual reality but you're left you're toggling between the two and what i what what i find um you know the troubling part of all that also makes if if you channel it the right way which is what my target was and mm -hmm. why art became the way to do it, is to be a conduit what yeah. i found is that i am and you are the conduit we are the translators we right or we are versed in these in, enough in, e, in either one of these systems that you can talk to your parents you could talk to your grandparents or whatever we could also talk nieces, uncles, whatever, cousins, friends, kids, yeah. and you understand both. And so we become these bridges and um, these bridges, these conduits, these, trans, these transmitters um, to maybe smooth out some of the bumps, which yeah. at least that has been something for me, like trying to smooth out these bumps. And we that we have this opportunity to be able to bridge gaps and, and, and connect people in different ways so that it's not so bumpy. Yeah. And I'm not trying to change anything, but just just create just a little bit more understanding. And the work is about yeah. creating, especially the web by woman stuff was definitely about creating those pathways. While you're enjoying this episode of Arts Access Florida, we want to tell you about another podcast we think you'll like. The Zest is WUSF's podcast about food in Florida. We explore food history, chat with award-winning chefs, and more. Listen at thezestpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, I'm just curious, what does, what does WEPA mean? It's like we say, like, whoa. Okay. Yeah, so, so it kind of means like, yay, like joy, kind of. Yeah, it's definitely okay. like, it's an acknowledgement. Okay. It's a, it's a... okay, I, I, I asked because when I was a kid at my dance studio, we used to say wepa all the time. We had a couple different Spanish students at the st uh, studio. And like, if we did really well on a competition or right before someone went on stage, we would just be like, wepa, wepa. And we would say it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you were, so you were getting props. You were getting yeah, props. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, so your work also has many other themes. Um, yeah. Do you want to talk about what some of those are and kind of that transition process you've had over that this kind of post COVID era, how you've kind of moved themes. So um, I will go. I'll go. The changes started happening way before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, so I I stopped doing the web women work probably about 2011, 2012. Um, okay. And uh, and the big change was that I left New York City to live in Florida. And you know um, I recognized that so much of the web woman story and the work that I made was a direct response to the stimulus of living in the city. Mm -hmm. 
And so there was like, there's always like that immediacy that it's the things happening right here, right now. And so I would use the work as a direct response. But once I left and I was no longer in an urban environment, at least not New York hood, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It was like Spanish moss and tree-lined streets. And <laughs> oh, look, there's a port swing. It was very different. <laughs> it's where I was living to sort of, I was kind of thrust into a middle-class lifestyle overnight. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, um, such a quiet space that then I, it gave me uh, an opportunity to really um, to listen mm-hmm. and process. And so it took. That's when the Astroleta series really took off because I started doing the while I was still in New York and um, into my graduate program. I started doing these Astroleta uh, videos where. Like so, and I I'll go back to go forward just a little bit. Mm-hmm. The the Wepa Woman versus Chuleta Bitch drawing series was pivotal. It was a big. It was a it was it was groundbreaking for me. I don't think anybody else has ever done that, especially the way I did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I want to be very full throated when I say that I'm very proud that I was able to pull this off. I mean, I did it. I did it for from. Oh, I can't even tell you the trajectory. Yeah. Of that work. Um. But then uh, uh, I started really thinking about the Chuleta character and how she was the she was the um, she was the antagonist of all these situations. But in the quiet, I was like, "Oh, wait a minute! She's actually quite smart." You know what I mean? And she mm-hmm. deserves her own platform to speak. Um, she deserves to be heard because even in my in my earnest desires to make this work, I also realized that I was silencing her. Like I've created, I've turned this hood girl into the into the antagonist, and I've made her the villain. Mm-hmm. Just a person, and she's just a person, and she's not a victim either. She's just a person in a particular circumstance with a particular set of skills who moves in a particular way. And while I am dexterous verbally. Well, I'm dexterous as a, as a, you know, culturally, socially, like I can, mm-hmm. I can, you know, I can wear and go to a fine restaurant and I can sit in a board meeting with people. And I can also, you know, cut up, cut it up and chop it up with dudes in the barbershop. Yeah. Um, every, not everybody has that kind of dexterity and that flexibility, but that should not negate, that should not negate someone's intellect. It's a different kind of intellect to navigate in the hood. And yeah. so- I wanted to I wanted to create a platform where she she and I also because my mother told me just you just because you're from the hood doesn't mean you have to be hood. I wanted to give myself the person, the permission to be that person that I was told I wasn't supposed to be. Right. And so I created this alter ego with this superhero, this of the of the you know, the character Chuleta, but I did it in real time. I was using YouTube as a platform to reach out to people. Right. And this was an opportunity in this woman's voice. To, to interrogate the art world, to interrogate systems, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm in the art world as an actual artist and I'm recognizing that the art world, that people from the art world would not come anywhere above 96th Street in New York City. They wouldn't see it. So does a show, is a show less valuable if it's in 125th Street? Um, but, you know, privileging white spaces versus brown white spaces. Right. And so I created, I created this character to basically like, trashed off. <laughs> I started doing that in 2006. By the time I got to Florida in 2010, and the stimulus of the, and the immediate noise of the city was like, 
like just shut off. Right. Started doing other work. And I started doing some deeper diving. So now I got time and some resources. And so now I wanted to create these pieces around surviving domestic violence, around, um, around yeah, domestic violence, abuse, um, uh, you know, problematic pregnancies and getting older and, um, you know, violence that we see out in the streets and the violence against our, our people of color. And so mm -hmm. the work got a lot deeper, got much, much more profound because it wasn't just this immediate response and, and the resources to do so. And so that's that transition. And then the last big transition was this COVID, COVID, uh, COVID Trumpian, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, George Floyd trifecta yeah. of, of, which to me was like, it's like the mutations within our society that we're looking at. Right now. And so I decided that I, well, I no longer wanted to perform. I've changed my stance on that. Um, but that I thought that I'd start making sculptures um, that are equally, that are, that are mutations of the wigs that I've made in previous performances. And now, so now this becomes of the sort of stand-in for my body, but also as a representation of those kinds of mutations that we see. Curious to know what did that work look like a little bit actually. So there's a there's a piece that I did um, where I'm wearing like this really tall crown. And I've got these giant gold curlers and I've got like a red push-up bra and I've got like a shaper mm -hmm. shaper thing. And that started out as um, it started out as an opportunity to interrogate beauty beauty standards, Eurocentric beauty standards. Mm -hmm. And mainly because I was recovering from really big surgery that I wanted to, um, I, I was looking at a lot of Kardashian contouring videos, right? Okay. At the time. Yeah. And, and I was like, man, you know, and I've always been fascinated how like, you know, um, how Eurocentric beauty standards in, the, in recent history, like the last 10 years, they want, they want, they want blackness, but they don't want the smoke. Yeah. They want the heat, but they don't want the fire. Yeah. Um, you know, between the body plumping and the booty mm -hmm. injections and the yep. trainers and the lip injections and the eyebrow, all this console, all this weird shit. Um, mm -hmm. That that you know, it's just like wow, y'all y'all really want y'all really want all this heat and y'all but y'all don't want the smoke because yep. there's smoke with this, right? Yeah. Your yo, your ancestors created. All right, so bet let's interrogate that. Mm -hmm. So I started doing this because all right, if my skin tone is right, and people are like, oh my god, your skin is so olive. I'm like, I'm the white girl in my family. Y'all think right. I'm, I'm? Are you kidding me? Um. And so like that, even that idea of darkness and light is relative to whoever's looking at you. Um, and so while I might have the skin tone, I don't have the features. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to see what it was like, what I'd have to do to contour my face to get to the Eurocentric beauty. But I stopped right at the marks because it looked crazy, it looked tribal, it looked like some wild shit. Like, and I, and I, and I made the crown to resemble, to, to reflect the different, the different stages of straightening my hair. From, from when the curls are wet to when the curls are in the rollers from when I have like me blow dry it before, mm -hmm. before you put the iron you know, the flat iron on it yeah so I wanted to I wanted to pause at each stage of the straightening process I wanted to pause at the contouring makeup I even gave myself like collarbones and stuff and I did like things to push up my breast and try to cinch, cinch my waist and so the the so the point of the point of origin of that was to interrogate your eccentric beauty standards. 
But what I didn't expect to bump into was looking old in pictures. Mm. Okay. Whole other angle. Wow. I didn't expect all that. Yeah. So, you know, um, we, you know, I don't, and I don't really get the opportunity to talk about that very much, but that was one of those things that I didn't expect. So you described your new work, I believe, as moving towards radical joy. And I think that's, I love the sound of that, radical joy, not just any kind of joy. So, and you want to work on healing and rest. You have a exhibit that's going to be at the HCC Art Galleries. So what, yes. what is that going to be? So I'm hoping um, the the goal is to create like this sort of mangrove, or it's like kind of like a bizarre mangrove, um, a sanctuary space, a mm. chill space where you'll see uh, some of my newest images of these women in sanctuary, like they're at rest. Um, and that's something that I've decided that I'm going to give myself as an artist. I'm going to give myself permission to make work that is not um, always like. Uh, it like, all right, so I've had to say this a lot recently. Um, all of the work that I've made up until this point has been the sort of like this, uh, you know, the, the the characters are like alpha, alpha female, very strong, yeah. they take up a lot of space, they, they command attention, has a strong stance and it's not, and, and, and could be viewed as celebratory, but celebratory in spite of that, that, mm -hmm. that. Right. So in spite of adversity, in spite of da, 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 there's always and there's always something that the person has overcome to receive this sort of these accolades to be able to, you know, this sort of hero like status. I don't feel like going through all that right now. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm going to I, I. Why can't we just chill? Yeah. Right. I want to chill. I know. I know why we can't just chill. Like I know. Yeah. Why. But Before, why can't we? Well, for a little while, I'm creating spaces of maximum chill, like for me, you know, and for me, maximum chill is in the trees, in nature, um, very lush landscapes, but they're abstract lands landscapes, they're weird alternate spaces, these sort of strange idyllic utopias that I'm trying to create, you know, where mm -hmm. the women are no, they're not in danger, they don't have to look out in the world, they don't have to, you know, there's always this and I noticed this when looking across all of the work that I've made, the women are always looking out and like this, like, I see you, like, I see you looking at me, Yeah. you know? Um, and in this, in the new work that I'm making, like the girls are just chilling. They're just, they're safe. They're just warm, being. They're, dead, they're just chilling. Mm -hmm. Chilling. Yeah. The fat rolls are hanging out, boobies are out. And they're good. You know what I mean? And so. Uh, it's, it's overdue for you and it's overdue for anyone who does this kind of work, you know, not everything has to be this, you know, testament to the fighter moving everything forward. Sometimes things like that also move things forward. So, yes. you know, sometimes it's just, I want to do what makes me happy. And in turn, if that makes things better as well, great. You know? Yeah. I think I want, I want, uh, you know what? So I'm working on something right now. Um, that's pretty epic. It's pretty huge. Um, and I got a test run of people encountering it during open studios last week here at the uh, at the McCall Art Center where my residency is right now, and um, and the response is overwhelming joy. I saw like people like oh my gosh like they look so happy they look so this mm -hmm. and 
you know, people kind of like looking at the work and nodding. And I'm like, yeah, like, yeah. hey, like, it's all right. Like, let's, I want, I want that for myself. I want to feel like, cause making, making the other work that I make is really hard to carry what is carried to carry the fall. Yeah. Like, the piece that I did at the Smithsonian where I'm holding the 33 people for three minutes, 33 seconds. I've done that piece three times, four times. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm carrying for months, mm -hmm. all that pain, all of it, all of it, all of it, like, and people are like, they're letting, and I did it on purpose. I, I wanted to make that work, but I'm at the point where I just like, man, it's just, we are, we are flooded, inundated with it, you know? And I don't want to be corny and be like, you know, what the world needs now is love, sweet love, but like, kind of, yeah, like, Kind of, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? I don't want to sound funny, but like, you know, there's plenty of people doing the justice work and part of the justice work is creating spaces of joy and, and peace, right? Mm -hmm. There's with adversity is going to be out here anyway. So I can't, I can't be of any service to my students in my classroom or anybody who's a fan of my work if I'm too exhausted. Right. Self-care, as they call it, which is very important and everyone should take the time for it. In, in every aspect of your life because it allows you to do other things so much better and be more available to others. So your mission has been and is to still make art that builds community, that bridges gaps, that asks questions. How do you, how do you encourage others who want to do that as well and maybe don't know where to sh start? Um, that's a great question. Um, and, it's a, and it's something that I, I, I approach in my classes. The first thing is trying to figure out what your voice is. You know, I do exercises with my students that um, kind of like, what do you value? Mm -hmm. right? What is valuable to you? Um, and then like ask yourself, what do you have to offer? Uh, what do you have and what can you trade? And in, in, in these exercises, you know, because then it, because those are the things that help to build the community too. It's like, well, you know, you're not on an island. You're not an island unto yourself. So like, if you have to do, if you want to make something, you want to make a piece of art, a video, a film, a, a podcast, whatever, um, you don't know how to do that, but you have some other skills you can trade. So then who, who how do you reach out to your community network and find the people that can give you what you need and how can you then repay them with something that you can, that you have, like whether you do graphic design or, you know, you've got gas money, you can make lunch for the team or whatever. Like mm -hmm. I, I try to encourage people to start thinking about not just the thing that they want to make, but the community that's, that's built around the making of the thing, right? Um, and 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 that is how I try to encourage kids to 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 find their voice and 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 make and make their work. And but it's not that you're working by yourself because you can't really. It's never full throated because you're only just talking to a vacuum. Yeah. Right. Or you or if you're just only going to respond to your YouTube people or your Instagram people, that's an echo chamber. So it's like, well, you know, build the building of the networks. Um, and recognizing that you have something to offer, but that you also think have things that you need. And so like, it's not just a gimme, gimme, gimme. It's like, whatever you take, be prepared to put something on. You gotta, you gotta put something on the table if you want people to do this for you. Yeah. And, you know, teaching about accountability, teaching about, you know, you know, teaching about integrity. I tell my students integrity is expensive. My students wouldn't trust me if I, if I didn't come with integrity. Yeah. 
right? I may be goofy, I may be disorganized, whatever the whatever flaw somebody yeah. might find me. But what I know I have in spades is integrity. And if I say I'm gonna do something, I'm gonna do it. And then I'm gonna if I'm if I if I'm putting my name on it, I believe in the product. Mm-hmm. And so like that kind of that kind of thing is very important. Um and I have to teach that. Right. And, I, and so I'm hoping that like with the kind of each one teach one um mentality that I have, that that's how that 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 message gets spread. As as being from the diaspora, being a woman of color, come from the community of color, our names are being dragged anyway. Like we, mm-hmm. my mother always don't give them a reason, don't give them any more ammunition. They already have plenty. Right. So I take my name, my word, and integrity very seriously. So I don't need to be famous. I don't need to be known, respected, and um, and and have staying power and consistency. Yes. Well. Wanda Raimundi Ortiz, would you that's please? My lady. That's her name. That's my name. That's her name. Right. <laughs> <laughs> would you please tell everybody where they can find you, your website, where they can find your work? Sure. Um, you can find me at www.raymundiart.com. R A I M is in Mary. U N is in Nancy. D I dot uh, You can also find me on Instagram at Wanda underscore Raymundi. Um, and yeah, man, just hit me up. <laughs> yeah. Me up like um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm always excited to, to partner with organizations and institutions, uh, talk with young people, old people. Um, yeah, so hit, hit me up, kid. <laughs> and check out her gallery when it comes to HCC Art Galleries August yes. 8th. Yes. So yes. everyone in town, go take a look. But thank you so, so much for doing this. This was thank really you very fun. Much for I appreciate it. And we'll see you guys in the next episode. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Arts Access Florida podcast series, When Freedom Rings. You can listen to all episodes wherever you stream podcasts or watch all episodes on our YouTube channel. Just search Arts Access Florida. We can't forget to thank our sponsors, Community Foundation Tampa Bay and Gobioff Foundation. This series was created by Malika Hollis and not possible without the help of Adriana Rodriguez and more. This is a product of WUSF Public Media. Copyright 2022, WUSF Public Media.